0: Welcome back to Behind the Knife. This is Kevin here. A few quick plugs before we dive into hematology. If you can please fill out the survey in our uh, show notes, it's about four questions long. You can do it on your cell phone. Uh, We'd really appreciate it. It really helps us out. Um a few quick things that are uh we've released recently. Uh there's a mnemonic video that should be released uh tonight uh by the time this podcast is released, and it is gonna be on YouTube. So if you're not subscribed to our YouTube channel, make sure you do that. Uh Michael Vu is a master at video and he is redoing our previous mnemonic video, and it's gonna be fantastic um with some even new additions. It'll help uh you memorize the things you need to know for the ab say, so make sure you check that out. Also on YouTube is our landmark paper series in collaboration with RAS ACS. If you haven't checked these out, uh, we cover um, many of the top papers that you need to know as a surgery resident. This week's is um, done by Ryan Huttinger, and it's comparing uh, normal saline versus lactated ringers and looking at the data behind that. So in five to seven minutes, uh, you can learn all you need to know from the landmark papers covering these topics. So make sure you check out our YouTube channel and subscribe. All right. So, we're just going to get jump right into it. So, um, John, when you have a patient that has a platelet disorder, what is going to be um, abnormal in their cascade?
1: Well, that's an easy one, Kevin. Bleeding time is going to be abnormal. Right.
0: So, this is important. You have to know these things. They're going to ask um, when you're looking at the PTTs and everything to determine what type of blood disorder patients have. Um, so, What is the most common uh, platelet disorder
2: that patients have, and what are the different types of these? Actually, the most common, uh, what I think you're going for, is the most common congenital bleeding disorder, and this would be the von Willebrand's. Um, disease, uh, and so this is uh, there's different types. It's either complete absence or dysfunction of von Willebrand's factor. Uh, type one von Willebrand's disease is the most common, um, and this has to do with reduced quantity of the of the factor. Um, and for these, you can treat with uh, desmopressin or cryoprecipitate. Uh, type 2, uh, you have enough, volumes, uh, enough of the factor, but it doesn't work well. So, it, it's a qualitative dysfunction. And then in type 3, you have almost no. So, it's almost complete absence. Um, uh, so, with these patients, uh, desmopressin doesn't work. And the only treatment is uh, cryoprecip- uh, cryoprecipitate.
0: And remember, cryoprecipitate, for two bleeding disorders, uh, it's... You're going to use cryoprecipitate in patients with this platelet disorders or patients that have uh, fibrin, that need a fibrinogen. So otherwise, you can use FFP and other um, factors, but cryoprecipitate is best uh, for those two disorders. Uh, so Jason, uh, we're going to go off topic a little bit here and just cover some of the most other common uh, bleeding disorders, um, the ones we hear about most commonly in med school. So just quickly, what are the, the factors
2: that are missing in hemophilia uh, well there's a couple different kinds so hemophilia A uh is the if uh, a deficiency dis- deficiency in factor 8 and this is a sex linked recessive disorder um these are you know, young males that you'll see with a uh, hemarthrosis in uh the, on your coagulation factors you'll see a prolongation of the PTT the, or the intrinsic uh pathway on your coagulation c- cascade um for these, you, you treat with either recombinant or with either recombinant factor eight or a cryoprecipitate, uh, and that's an, uh, so. Also, the other type of hemophilia is hemophilia, hemophilia B, um, otherwise known as Christmas disease. This is a deficiency in factor nine. It's also sex-linked recessive. Um, uh, again, you see a prolongation of your PTT, and for these, you treat with recombinant factor uh, nine or with FFP.
0: So, it's- one thing. Uh- remember the intrinsic versus extrinsic. I always have the hardest time remembering this. Uh, But if you think of, especially when you think of Coumadin um, and and what it works on, uh, you think of WEPT, so Warfarin Extrinsic Pathway PT. So uh, the extrinsic pathway is PT or INR, and that is what uh, Warfarin acts on, which is factors uh, 2, 7, 9, and 10. And then PTT is the intrinsic pathway. So, when you're dealing with the hemophilias, um, so wept for extrinsic pathway and warfarin. All right, let's say you have a a
3: patient, he's a 58 year old gentleman who's had a cabbage a year ago and is now undergoing a lap coli. He's in the hospital for a couple days post op, he had to convert to open. And the intern tells you that his his platelets that were 250 three days ago are now uh, about 75. Uh, What are you concerned about?
2: Uh, so this is a you know a patient with with a hist- or with an exposure to heparin who now is dropping platelets. Um, I would be concerned about a, a HIT or a, a you know heparin induced thrombocytopenia, um, and this can progress to HIT with two T's, which is adding on the thrombosis onto the end of that. So Jason, what are the two tests that
0: you can use to confirm HIT?
2: Uh, So you can uh, either use an an ELISA test, which tests for the antibody, um, which is an antibody against the platelet and and, and factor, platelet factor four, um, as well as a a serotonin release assay.
0: And and the important thing for HIT is a patient has to have had prior exposure to heparin from a previous surgery or previous hospitalization um, for them to be at risk for HIT. So that's one thing you want to make sure.
2: And just a little clinical uh, uh, pearl as well. Uh, you know, I've actually heard of patients who have you know clinical hit and you can't find any new heparin exposure, but you have to remember a lot of the lines that you use in the ICU, a lot of your central lines uh, are uh, heparin lines. so even that exposure uh, can uh, lead to the development of of hit. So John, uh, how are you going to treat this patient?
1: Uh, so you obviously want to get rid of the heparin as soon as possible. Uh, you want to start a direct thrombin inhibitor, such as a Gatroban or, uh You also want to convert to uh, treat them with Coumadin uh, in the future. For patients who have thrombosis, uh, treat them for three months. And then patients uh, without thrombosis, you want to treat them for one month. All right.
3: So let's say you have a patient who's a 25-year-old male, comes in with a swollen leg, uh, has a dvt this is the patient's first dvt and on your astute uh, history taking you find out the patient has multiple relatives who've had dvts what kind of avenues do you go to and go down now
2: you know, so I'd be very concerned that this this patient has, uh, you know, one of uh, one of the hypercoagulable disorders. So, you know, generally these patients get, you know, kind of, and specifically if you can get them, uh, you know, before they're started, uh, you know, on anticoagulation and, and send, you know, the litany of tests. You're worried about a factor five, you know, the 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 Leiden mutation. Um, you're worried about uh, the the prothrombin gene defect, the, the G, uh, you know, twenty, what is it, 20210, 20 2021 20, 0, how do you say that? Twenty two ten. Twenty two ten. Yeah, there you go. You're worried about protein C or S deficiency, antithrombin 3 deficiency. There's, you know, hyperhomocystin uh, anemia um, and the, you know, antiphospholipid syndrome. So let's break some of these down a little bit to make them
0: applicable to the ab site. Uh, so... You have the patient, uh, you, you know, say it's this patient, and you put them on. This is kind of related to the factor five light in deficiency, but you put them on uh, Coumadin, and you didn't start heparin, and you didn't bridge them, um, and they get uh, skin necrosis. Uh, Jason can you talk to us about why that happens and um, what the concern is.
2: Uh, yeah, so that's that's the you know warfarin induced skin necrosis. Um, it, it's due to the uh, it's you generally don't see it in normal people. You'll see it in people who maybe have an underlying uh, protein C deficiency, and it's due to the short half life of, of protein C and S, which are the first. Uh, to decrease um, in, in compared to the other pro, uh, pro-coagulation factors. Um, and so this results in a period of a relative uh, hyperthrombotic state um, after you, you start uh, Coumadin.
0: So protein CNS are actually uh, anticoagulants, uh, intrinsic anticoagulants, and they have a very short half-life. So if you start... Uh, Warfarin; those will disappear first before the rest of them, and they're at risk for thrombosis from that.
2: Okay, so we'll just we'll we keep moving on through all these different uh, kind of inherited hypercoagulable states. Uh, so, hyperhomocysteinemia is one that's not frequently seen that's uh, can be tested and uh, has a, a pretty easy treatment. How do you treat those? Uh, you have them take their prenatal vitamins or uh, folic acid and B twelve. And uh, uh, let's say, you know, let's talk a little bit about antithrombin 3 deficiency. Um, It's one of the more common ones. Um, you, you know, you can first you can first notify or identify it um, after um, uh, previous heparin exposure. It can kind of uh, present itself. What's a, a key thing to know about these patients? How do you treat them? And specifically, what doesn't work with them? So the, the answer is the heparin does not work in these
1: patients. Uh, the way you treat them is that you give a combinant AT three concentrate or FFP uh, f- prior to giving them heparin, and then you transfer them over to acumin uh, and later on.
0: Right. So, this just highlights the point that heparin, the way heparin works is it potentiates antithrombin 3, um, which is your natural anticoagulate and it makes it a thousand times more potent. So, if you don't have antithrombin 3 in your body, heparin will not work and these patients are at risk, especially if they're undergoing vascular surgery or cardiac surgery.
2: Okay, John, how about, can you talk to us a little bit about the uh, antiphospholipid antibody syndrome? You know, what what patients, you know, what's a typical clinical presentation or, you know, clinical history you see in these patients? Um, and uh, what causes it and how do you treat it?
1: Uh, so even though lupus is my favorite answer in all step qu- uh, step tests, uh, not all of these patients have uh, uh, lupus. Uh, it's caused by antibodies to the cardiolipin and lupus anticoagulants. These patients will have a uh, a prolonged PTT, uh, but they also present as hypercoagulable. Uh, We treat them with heparin and warfarin. Uh,
2: So I think you know some of something that's highly testable is just rogue memorization is just the mechanism of action uh, of some of these different anticoagulants. Uh, So, uh, Doctor Arrington, if you just want to kind of lead us through the discussion, and we can talk about the uh, mechanism mechanism action of all these different drugs. Sure thing. We
3: talked a little bit about this uh, already, but. patients who are on warfarin uh, how does warfarin work
0: so warfarin is a vitamin k antagonist um, and vitamin k is um you know remember the extrinsic pathway wept um so it, the factors involved in it are 10 9 uh, 7 and 2 and so warfarin and protein, d- CNS. And protein cns and so this uh that's how warfarin works
2: by blocking those factors. Are there any patients you would not want to use warfarin for? Uh, yeah, so this is it's it's contraindicated in in in, in pregnant women. Uh, so those are women that need to be on uh, heparin or or you know one of the uh, low low molecular weight heparins. Yeah, also, it's been shown to be less
3: uh, efficacious in patients who have uh, malignancy or known malignancy.
0: And so an important point with Coumadin, you have a lot of patients coming in the ER, and we'll talk a little more about this in the trauma sections, but you want to uh, to reverse these patients, uh, you can give them vitamin K. But vitamin K takes about six hours to reverse them, so they better be bleeding very slowly um, or or they're going to exsanguinate. So you can use vitamin K. A faster way to do it is FFP, and we'll talk a little bit more about the components of blood, Um, but FFP will reverse it pretty quickly um, as soon as you can thaw it and get it to the patient. But if you really need to uh, reverse them immediately, you can use the prothrombin complex, um, which will reverse it immediately. So that is how you reverse Coumadin. And
3: now something i also commonly use that we've talked about is is heparin, and we talked about uh, a little bit about heparin works. How, how do you reverse heparin? So heparin is reversed with uh, protamine, which binds heparin. Now, my anesthesiologists are always telling me they have to give the protamine slowly. Is there a reason they do that or are they just being extra cautious for no reason?
2: Yeah. You know, one of the the uh, common side effects is hypotension, uh, bradycardia. Uh, You can have uh, decreased uh, or, you know, can kind of induce a uh, heart failure or have decreased cardiac function uh, when you give uh, protamine quickly. And, And Kevin, where does protamine come from? It's like sperm of like a salmon or something. Salmon sperm, which I think
3: is very important to know. Now, how do medications like uh, Lovenox or the low molecular weight heparins differ from just basic regular old heparin?
2: So uh, low molecular weight heparin or or Lovinox or uh, the others uh, act similar to heparin, but it works in combination with with antithrombin 3 and only um, neutralizes factor 10a. What's important to know about this as well is you cannot reverse uh, Lovinox and low molecular weight heparins with protamine.
0: And there's sometimes you'll have patients that, will still have thrombosis or um pe's or something on lovenox so you can check check a factor 10a level in them to see if you're getting the inhibition of factor 10a that you need um it's kind of something that's happening especially in trauma patients they're doing this more
3: i get a lot of patients these days who are coming in my office telling me that they saw some of these new medications on tv um we call them novel anticoagulants things like pradaxa Eliquis, xarelto uh, how do those work
2: uh so these are you know the pradaxa eliquis oralto or you know these are the dabigatran apixaban rivaroxaban these are direct thrombin inhibitors um and these are can be very difficult to reverse uh you can pcc does have some effect um and is useful uh to reverse some of these um and uh and for pradaxa you can uh do dialysis actually to reverse it yeah, and they're, they're actually, I, I doubt this will show up on the website, but there is there is a, a new monoclonal antibody um, directed against Pradax as well. It's one of the other medications I
3: use often in my practice. Uh... Um, usually when a patient comes in and has a bypass graft that's uh, occluded all of a sudden, or patients who have uh, iliofemoral DVTs, I'm going to instill some medication that I tell the patient's going to bust the clot. What, what does that do, or what are those?
0: Yeah, so this is uh, the thrombolytics, or uh, TPA, um, and generally uh, streptokinase or urokinase is uh, the ones you kind of hear about and what this does is it activates plasminogen um, and plasminogen actually um, breaks down the fibrinogen um, and so you can break up the clots that way um, important thing to know with tpa is that um, you have to check uh, fibrinogen levels in these patients because their fibrinogens can get too low and then they're at risk for bleeding um, and then for reversing this uh, you use aminocaproic acid um, for patients that overdose on tpa so john are there patients where you would not want to use
3: some of these thrombolytics
1: yeah the app does stress some of these uh Uh, absolute contraindications to thrombolytic use, Uh, so active internal bleeding, a recent CVA or neurosurgery within the last three months, any intracranial pathology or recent GI bleeding are absolute uh, contraindications. Other major contraindications um, include surgery within the past 10 days, any organ biopsies or uh, recent uh, pregnancy and delivery, left heart thrombus, active peptic ulcer, Um, recent major trauma or any uncontrolled hypertension.
0: Okay, and uh, kind of close out hematology, kind of a difficult topic to cover in a podcast, but uh, just to hit up a few of the factor questions that you'll get. um, So they're going to ask, you know, which factors are not uh, synthesized in the liver? Your liver does most of your coagulation factors. The only one it does not do is factor eight, and this is uh, synthesized in your endothelium. And the other one that's also in your endothelium is uh, von Willebrand's factor. And what's important about this is why desmopressin works for patients with um, platelet like uh, that have uremic uh, disease and their platelets aren't working. Uh, Desmopressin actually causes the von Willebrands to come out of the endothelium, so you you don't need a functioning liver for either of these. Um, so, just quickly to cover the different blood products, uh, so the ones we're going to talk about here are cryoprecipitate and FFP. So, the times that you're going to use cryoprecipitate is patients uh, that have von Willebrand's disease or hemophilia A. Um, because hema, von, cryoprecipitate has a high level of factor eight, and then also patients that have low levels of fibrinogen. So those, are, so the, everyone else pretty much gets FFP if they have a bleeding disorder. So one last time, von Willebrand's disease, hemophilia A, or low levels of fibrinogen, use cryoprecipitate. And then for FFP, it has high levels of all coagulation factors, protein C, S, and antithrombin-3. And that's one thing we did not discuss. If you have a patient that has antithrombin-3 deficiency, uh, you can give them FFP and then give them heparin, and then they will actually get the benefit from heparin. Um, So those are some important points. Um, Last uh pt like we've discussed the wept measures factors 2 7 9 and 10 if you don't remember that by now um it's the best test for liver synthetic function and then uh the ptt measures most factors except for factor 7 which is the most volatile factor um and for ptt you want it between 60 to 90 generally and for the pt which is measured in inr you want it between 1 to 2 and then for the um Routine anticoagulation, if they're checking ACTs like in a surgery uh, for routine anticoagulation, you want 150 to 200 for ACT, the activated clotting time.
2: All right. Well, thanks for listening. That concludes our quick absite review for hematology and our uh, hematologic disorders. Uh, once again, I want to thank uh, Dr. Nathan Aronson for, from VM for being here today uh, for, do our, for our ab site review. Uh, Dr. Aronson, thanks so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Thank you.